Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and open it up to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 is where we'll be today. We're going to read from verse 10 down to verse 18. Hebrews chapter 2. We started a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews, and uh, it's been really good just for my own soul to do the study, and I pray that it's good for you. But I'll tell you what, Hebrews is, it is a hard, a hard book. I was intimidated by Romans, so I waited until I was 50 years old to preach it. And uh, now we're in Hebrews. It, it feels every bit as hard as the book of Romans. You found Hebrews chapter 2. Why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2. We'll start in verse 10 and read down to verse 18. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us. I just read a promise from your word that you will help us. Lord, we confess we need help. Would you make it, Lord, so that what I say today would accurately represent what your word has said? Would you give your people ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to be strengthened? Would you call people to yourself? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> what is it to be human? <clears throat> To be human, to live and work, to love and to worry, to be irritated, to get anxious, to get tired. To be human is to laugh, it is to suffer. To be human is to sometimes wonder, is it all worth it? 
To be human is to have affection for someone and not have that affection returned back to you. To get angry, to get sore, to get sick. To be human is to live and then to die. Or to be human is, is to remain to still be here when someone you love dies. To oversleep, to drive too fast, to not feel appreciated. What is it like to be human, to breathe and to eat, to make friends, to feel betrayed, to be misunderstood? All of that and more is what it's like to be human. And it's what God the Son has done for us in order to save us. So far in the book of Hebrews, the preacher, and we believe it is a preacher, the preacher has been sketching out the divine excellencies of God the Son. In fact, in chapter 1, he calls him the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation or imprint of his nature. And he teaches us that Jesus the Son is truly God, just what the creed says, that he is God of very God. And having settled that in chapter 1, he now applies his energies to teaching us that Jesus is truly man. That he became one of us, in order to save us. Here before us in chapter 2, in such poetic form, is the incarnation. Here is God becoming man. Here is why we celebrate Christmas. But this is no academic, this is no academic exercise. Now, you're going to have to pay attention today. This is not a sermon you can sort of come in and out of. In order for it to make any sense, you've got to sort of track. I'm doing some work up here. I need you to do some work out there. This is here for our comfort. This is here for our hope. This is a promise. This is, this is here for you to be strengthened so when you walk out of here, you can face what you've got to face. This is a reality for us. This is, a, this is a joy for all of those who are in Christ. Which is worth the question, are you in Christ today? Have, have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone, in his perfect life, in place of your sinful life? Have you trusted that Jesus died on the cross, taking the judgment of God that you deserve in your place, and you have received the grace and forgiveness of God? Have you believed in the resurrection of Jesus? God raised him from the dead on a Sunday. The, the resurrection of Jesus, that is the, the guarantee for your eternal life, have you believed in the reigning lordship of Jesus that, that gives you security? If so, I have good news for you. I have good news for your weary soul. Because Jesus lived and lives, you can gladly face whatever is out there waiting on you. Here in this passage, let's just, let's just mimic what the preacher does. Here in this passage, the, 
The, the writer just lifts up the name of Jesus. He lifts up Jesus, the man for us, to take confidence. So I just want to, in the next few moments, lift up Jesus to you today in the hopes that you will see because of Jesus, you're going to make it. Because of Jesus, you're going to make it. Several reasons here. I see uh, five, six, seven. I actually saw a bunch of reasons. I'm, I, I brought it down to five. I see five reasons why you're going to make it right here in this passage. Here's the first one. Number one, you're going to make it because he, Jesus, is our founder. Number one, you're going to make it because Jesus is our founder. Let's go to verse 10. Let's just go through it and read it with a little comment in verse 10. <clears throat> the text says that it was fitting, it was appropriate, it was right. It was fitting that he, that he is, is God. I know it's a lowercase h. I wish that it were uppercase h. I don't know why ESV did that, but that is God. That he, for, see, for whom and by whom all things exist. So the sovereign God, it was fitting that God, who's bringing sons and daughters to glory, that's us being saved, it was fitting that God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing, bringing many sons to glory, should make, this is God's plan, should make the founder, that's Jesus, of their salvation perfect. Not morally perfect. He already was perfect without sin. Complete. Perfect through suffering the cross. You might read it like this. It was good and right. It was true and appropriate that the sovereign God, for whom and by, thing, by whom all things exist, would intentionally make the founder of their salvation, Jesus, make him complete through suffering on the cross. In, in other words, the way of salvation through the cross is not arbitrary. It is not an accident. It is not God seeing, oh, Jesus, they, they crucified him. I can do something good with that. No, this is a plan. This is fitting, the writer says, of the character of the God that we know. That Jesus did not die on a cross by chance. The cross of Jesus, here's a little plank of theology for you. The cross of Jesus is the most fitting and God-worthy way of salvation. The cross of salvation corresponds with the God of creation. So, so think, think of it like this with logic. God is the end of creation and the means of creation. God is the end of salvation and the means of salvation. The work of creation is totally God. The work of salvation is totally God. And it fits, according to verse 10, because of the perfect Savior that he gave us on the cross. Our founder, you see that word? I would circle it. That, that's a Greek word, archegos, founder. Your Bible might say... Um, Pioneer, I even saw it translated captain somewhere. The pioneer of our salvation. That is to say, he is the one who goes ahead of us. He is the one who has secured it for us. He is the one who leads the way. And more than that, we find out in the Bible, he not only leads the way, that he actually is the way. That Jesus is not just an example for us to follow, that he in fact is the one who purchased it for us. 
that he provides the basis on which salvation is offered and he has done it and made it perfect and complete. Why? Because of his suffering. Verse 10 says, he's, it's complete because of the cross. You, that doesn't sure your emotion very much, but it ought to give you ground to stand on. That you're going to make it because he made it for you. Let me, let me let's see if I can use, let's take the gospel, not just, not just use it to be saved. Let's, let's massage it into our souls here. For instance, when you're depressed, when you're depressed or hurt or addicted or a failure or you've been abused or, or maybe it's you, maybe you're the, or you're, you've, you've sinned in such a way the gospel says, come here, look to the founder who suffered in your place on the cross and, and see that you will make it because he made it for you. You're going to make it because he is our founder. Let me give something else right here from the passage, verses 11 and 12 and 13. Not only are you going to make it because he's our founder, number two, you're going to make it because he is our elder brother. Elder brother. Now, to make this point, <clears throat> here's what the preacher does. He does what any good preacher does, makes a statement. You probably see it in the structure in, in your Bible. Statement in verse 11, and then backs it up with Scripture in verse 12 and 13. So he says something in verse 11, and then he says, this happens in Psalm 22, which he quotes in verse 12, and then Isaiah down there in verse 13. So let, let's take a look at it. Let's read it with some comment and uh, go from there. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus right there. He who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are sanctified, us who are in Christ. So he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, Jesus and us, all have one Source. Here's the incarnation. That's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers. There's something, there's something happening here. There's something good for us to see. Uh, that, let's take the words. Let's just, some of the words. Verse 11, you see that word sanctified? If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, this is one way you know you're, if you're a Christian, there's something happening to you. You're, you're being changed. You see the word sanctified? It is being made holy. So you're being, you're being sanded down right now. You're being smoothed out. You're being refined. You, you're being pruned. You're being humbled. You're being mellowed out. A lot of us are thankful that you are being mellowed out just a bit. You're, you're being purified. You're being cleansed. You're, you're being made into the likeness of Christ. When you, think of, uh, when you think of Christianity, think of three broad categories. Think of Christianity like this. Uh, the first word is, is justified. Justified. That's where it starts. What does justified mean? It is a one-time event. You might call it being born again. You might call it being saved. It's the point when you 
come from being dead in sin to being made alive in Christ. It is a one-time conversion where the lights have come on. You now are no longer a child of Satan. You're a child of God because of what Christ has done. Justified. One-time event. Justification, the next word would be sanctified or sanctification. That's the word used here. Sanctification is what happens to us all along in our life. From the time you are justified till the time that you breathe your last, it's sanctification. It's where God is taking you and making you more like Christ, all of the events of your life that's going on. And then once you breathe your last, after being justified in Christ, being sanctified through life, you then are glorified. You might say glorification. When you leave this world and then you are, because of what Christ has done for you, you are with God forever. And what the preacher's saying here is that he, while you're living, he's sanctifying you. Look, that's what all this is about. Sanctification. While your car breaks down and the friends you have, and things go terribly, sanctification. You know what marriage is good for? I know Valentine's Day is coming up and you want to be romantic. Let me tell you what marriage is good for. God uses marriage for your sanctification. And you are so terrible, he's using you for their sanctification. <laughs> marriage is a tool for sanctification. You know what being single is for? God has you single for your sanctification so that you are content in Christ, that you are dependent on Him so that you find all of your satisfaction in Christ. Sanctification. There's something else in this text here. It's not just sanctification. You might say the word incarnation. We've heard it before. You'll see it again in verse 14. But right there in verse 11, you'll see that it's, it is said in such a way that we see God becoming man right there in verse 11. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. We're all of one is literally what it says here. Here is the theology of incarnation. He became one of us in order to save us, having a human nature without a sin nature. This is why we call him the second Adam, because the first Adam came in with a human nature, fell into sin, and everybody since then has had a sin nature except Jesus. And on top of that, so, so we've got sanctification and then incarnation, and on top of all of that, verse 11 tells us that God, because of Jesus, has made us family. That's what verse 11 says. It's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And verse 12 and 13 gets a messianic psalm, Psalm 22 and he uses that to, to prove it. Do you remember the, remember the end of, of Matthew, the book of Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament? There at the end of Matthew, Matthew writes of Jesus talking about the final judgment, Matthew 25. Jesus, when he talks about the final judgment, he talks about all of the nations gathering in front of him and him separating the sheep from the goats. The goats are going to hell, the sheep to heaven. And, and here's what he says to the sheep, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. And the sheep ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and 
give you something to drink or a stranger and bring you in or naked and clothe you or, or, or sick and take care of you? Or when did we see you a prisoner and go and visit you? And Jesus will say, Matthew, Matthew 25, 40, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now look, are you, are you reading the Old Testament? I'm doing that in my devotion. I'm going through Genesis. And you read through Genesis, you see all of the patriarchs. And you get to Jacob and you find out how terrible of a guy he is and, and deceitful. And yet all throughout the Old Testament, God allows himself to be called the God of Jacob. How much more willing is God? How much more willing is he to love those who are in Christ, you as his family, sons and daughters. Look, that should give confidence into your soul to tell you that you are going to make it because Jesus is our founder, God is our father, Christ is our elder brother. I'll give you another piece. Maybe that's not enough for you. I'll give you another piece. Let me give you a third thing to think of. Number three, you're going to make it because he is our defender, our defender. Let me show you what I, what I mean by that. It's right there in verse 14. There's so much in verse 14. Verse 14 starts out once again talking about uh, Jesus as man. You see the incarnation in verse 14 on the front end and then on the back end of verse 14. Come to the end of verse 14. There we find the why. Why did he become man? Let me, let me read it to you. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise he partook of the same things. Here's why. Here's why a man had to die for humanity. Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. You understand the back end of verse 14, the incarnation, Jesus became man. Why? Christ came to defeat two great enemies. Look at verse 14, there they are. The two great enemies, death and the devil. Here in verse 14, what you have is the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus on the cross is presented as royal combat. So, so think of it like this. Follow logic. If if death is the result of sin. So what Genesis 3 tells us, the fall, Adam and Eve, and the curse. So sin has created death. So what Romans tells us, the wages of sin is death. If death is the result of sin, and Jesus is sinless, then death for Jesus on the cross is as a substitute it is caused by our sin. And according to verse 14, something happens. According to verse 14, the effect of Jesus dying on the cross is the actual defeat of death. Now, here's what the Puritans, you can look this up. The Puritans called it the death of death. Here's, here's another way to understand it. It's something we all, we, I mean, we feel this. 
Death is powerful. Some of you have felt that maybe even this week. I mean, it, so when I say death is powerful, what I mean is it, when it grips, it doesn't let go. When, when somebody you love dies, that person, I mean, it, it, the reason it hurts so bad and we cry so much is because when someone we love dies, they're not coming back. Death holds them and never lets go. That is until verse 14. Until Jesus. The text says that he defeated death and the devil. How did he do it? By binding the strong man, plundering his house, and delivering us from his dreadful power. Look, that's why, that's why we love Sunday so much. If you've lost someone you love dearly, and he or she was a Christian, Sunday is a great day for you. It's the day when we come and celebrate God raising Jesus from the dead. It's why we love it so much, because on Sunday, we sing the song, Death Could Not Hold Him. And since he is our elder brother and the founder of our salvation, when he is raised from the dead, he takes us with him. And, and thank God that because of Jesus, you, my friend, are going to make it. I got something else. I got something else for you. I wish I had me some Pentecostals in this church. I got something else for you. Number four, you, you're going to make it. You're going to make it because he is our redeemer. Do you see it right there? Our redeemer, verse 15, pick Verse 15 picks up what's going on in verse 14 and brings it forward. Let's read the two together. Verse 14 and 15. Let me read it to you. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and, here's the other piece of combat, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He introduces a new truth, verse 15. And that is that the fear of death has enslaved us. That's what it says in verse 15. Who through the fear of death are in shackled their entire lives. The fear of death enslaves us. We're afraid of getting hurt. Afraid of getting, afraid of getting sick. We don't try, we don't, we don't risk. It's the fear. Fear is so we get anxious. We stop short. Or, or we can feel ourselves aging so we get in a hurry. So we come up with bucket lists, things we want to do. Here are the 10 things I want to do before I die. And we get to work on a bucket list. And we start to accomplish these things. And we, we feel the clock ticking. Or maybe you think, I don't want to work my whole life. I'll save up enough, I want to retire early, and then I can take it easy. I'm, look, I'm all for retiring early, but if you do, and, and God frees you from having to work, you go and give the rest of that to the Lord Jesus on mission. Give that to Jesus. Don't let the, don't let the fear of time getting away from you make it so that you either freeze up foul out instead let's take a christian worldview take the bible press it into your soul let galatians 2 20 become your life verse 
Remember what it says? Meditate on it with me now. Think, think on it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now, right now, live in the flesh, I'm going to live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. Look, you're going to make it as you live each one of your days for the glory of King Jesus. I'll give you one last one. Number five is a good one. Number five, you're going to make it because Christ is our Savior. You're going to make it if you're in Christ because He is our Savior. Once again, verse 17 and 18, uh, we have all of these reasons for the incarnation, but in these reasons, all this theology is put in. Let me just read it to you, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect. There's the incarnation. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Here's the reason why. So that, look at him, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's just break it down quickly. Let's just go through it. So what is this telling us about Jesus See, in verse 17, he is a merciful high priest. Do you see that? that? That's to us. So the faithfulness will be to God, but right here, the, the, mercy, the mercy is shown to us. Why? Because we are weak. We are, we are sinners. We, are, we stand in, in, in need of judgment. That We deserve to be sent to hell. We, we don't deserve it. And here's what the high priest, Jesus, because he became man... He's merciful to us, and he takes our punishment. That's, that's our, to us. Now, notice that the faithfulness in verse 17, that's toward God. Do you see that in verse 17? He was made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful, and that faithful high priest in the service of God. Merciful to us, faithful to God. That Christ, in a way that we couldn't be, Faithful to God in service as the one true man that takes our place, fulfills all of the laws, all of the expectations, the perfection, all of the holiness. Look, you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. He's a merciful, a faithful high priest. But not only that, keep looking at it. See that word? He is a sacrificing high priest. He not only is the priest, he's also the sacrifice. See what it says right there in verse 17, at the very end, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now we have now just been dropped into the heart of the gospel. And the preacher keeps us here to the end. Right here at the cross, look what he says, that Jesus pays for sin, not in abstract, but in actuality. Look again at verse 17. He makes propitiation for the sins of the people that Jesus purchased names. 
that Jesus died on the cross in the place of persons. If you're in Christ, then he took your place. This is not something abstract. This is specific. This is dedicated to getting to, to redeeming people. When you think of this now, propitiation at the cross, Jesus takes the personal wrath of God, all of the anger. Look, don't try to say God's not an angry God. He is. All of that, Jesus takes the judgment and turns it away from us and puts it on himself. You know what Romans 1.8 says? Romans 1.18 says that, um, that when we sin, we arouse the wrath of God. Ro Romans 5.10 says when we sin, we become enemies of God. And propitiation says this word. Love this word now. Atonement, that's not enough. Expiation, not enough. Propitiation. It says the guilt we incurred is removed. Guilt is removed. God's wrath is gone. He embraces us as family. He defeats death. He has bound Satan. He has set captives free. And he has given us the greatest parting gift in verse 18. What he says in verse 18? Because he was man, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to come and help. Every one of us. You see that? This is, be careful with the word empathy. This is directional, purposeful empathy. Empathy is, is feeling something someone else is feeling. You're feeling that with them. It, but, but look, empathy without action is nothing more than tearful spectating. It, it's watching a Hallmark movie and crying at it. This is not just Jesus crying with us. He doesn't just cry with us. He certainly does, but he comes and cares for us. He actually takes that empathy and comes and helps us. And, and what I'm trying to tell you is, you can look to him. He became one of us to save us. And if you have Jesus, you're going to make it. God is your Father, Jesus your Savior, Christ our elder brother. He's here to walk with you and to help you. Join me as we pray. With your heads bowed this morning. Let me ask a question. Do you have him? See the pioneers. He's shown you the way. Do you put your faith? Have you trusted that Christ died in your place, that God is your father and Christ is your savior? Do you see him as the defender as the one who's redeemed you, the one who's, who's, who's lived in your place and died in your place and will help you. This morning we're going to sing a, a closing worship song. It's a great song just to sing with affection for God. If you're a child of God, sing it in your heart to the Lord as we close out the Lord's Day. If you're not, when we sing, 
you'll see pastors, they're all down in the front. Just, just walk down here. Take a pastor by the hand and say, I need, I need to talk about what it means to give my life to Christ. Or maybe you just want to come and have a pastor pray with you so that you might be strengthened for what you have to face. When we sing this morning, God has spoken to your heart, you want to come and pray or talk to a pastor, you come forward. Father, thank you for the grace you give us in Jesus, for the security we have walking out of here today. Thank you for Sunday, for a day to worship and to be strengthened in truth. Help us now as we close in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?